0: Welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks to find middle ground in well, life, just life in general. My name is Jenny Omani.
1: I'm Annika Buckle.
0: And I'm Lee Freiling. If you are listening, which you are, and you wouldn't mind just
2: toddling on over to whatever platform you happen to listen to this on and feel like leaving us maybe like a little review, we love some five stars, we love some kind comments. Also, uh, if you don't mind sharing these particular episodes on your social media with your buddies your auntie your cranky uncle your neighbor down the street we would love all of that that would be that would really truly mean the world to us all podcasters have like a little spiel like this but it's because it's true everybody (laughs) it actually (laughs) makes a big difference so if you wouldn't mind that'd be great send us your cranky uncles please
0: (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah totally maybe don't tell him to leave a review though (laughs) yeah
1: if you're a cranky uncle listening to this
2: As Glennon says, if you didn't like it, that's fine. You don't need to say anything. That's
0: fine too. (laughs) (laughs) Glennon. So what we're going to talk about today, we're going to do a bit of a two-parter. Okay. So part one is going to be us talking about how to be in conversations with people that you disagree with and leave space for being wrong, like for yourself to be wrong um, and to just not die while you're doing that. Because we don't need to like die on hill. The theme since 2020 is find a hill and die on it like daily when you're talking with people. <laughs> we would encu- we would love to encourage you to not do that. Um, having said that though, we would uh we are we want to be really clear. When we're talking about holding space and having conversations for people with people for whom you are in disagreement with, we are not talking about like anti-Semitism and racism and transphobia and like things that really present um. A danger to people. So, we are very much talking about when you are having a conversation with your friend who maybe doesn't politically agree with you, or maybe has strong feelings about something that you also have strong feelings about in a different way. But the feelings we are talking about do not pertain to harmful topics. Correct. Those are hills, in my opinion, you can go set out to die on, as far as I'm concerned. We do not need racism, period. So, just to be very, very clear, we are talking about like day to day conversations that do not involve the safety of others. Correct. That's me. Part one is sort of how to facilitate that type of conversation or that type of thinking when you're having conversations. And then, part two, we're going to chat about how that has shown up for the three of us personally, because, um, spoiler alert I don't think (laughs) any of us are 100% consistently good at being in conversation with people when we disagree I know I'm not I'm working on it yeah it's
2: really it can be really tricky I can also say as a firstborn whose literal like life's mission is to be right all of the (laughs) time
0: oh I'm an only and that's my mission too oh I'm also firstborn and (laughs) must be right or I die
2: Yes, we talk often about how my poor daughter is the only non-firstborn person in our family.
0: <laughs> so it's her job to just be wrong, then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we wonder
2: why she's so feisty because she's lived with three people her whole life. We're like Actually. literally
0: fighting. Yeah,
1: fighting. Yeah. Well, but I mean, what a beautiful example of like how this is very real for all of
0: us. Yeah, you totally. know what? I think it's really real for almost everyone. I think that the number of people that are genuinely naturally good at being very neutral, very um like understanding and compassionate in hearing people that they disagree with. I think those people are very, that is a skill set that very few people have um, in my opinion. Cause it, it, it yeah, that's like a temperament thing. And most people, I, I mean, it can be triggering to have people say things that you disagree with. I think what it has to do maybe not so much with the temperament although
2: I think there might be some temperament stuff in there is I think it has to do with people's um need to feel right out of a sense of safety right so if we feel like unsafe in somebody else's thing and unsafe can be like you know being wrong feels too vulnerable for me, right? Like, that doesn't necessarily, mm-hmm. it's not like your thing that you disagree with me about is like a direct safety thing to me, but just the fact that like holding space for you to be wrong about something or change your mind inherently requires vulnerability. There are people out there who have no threshold for vulnerability, right? And they mm-hmm. go straight to anger. This is a lot of men, right? A lot of men who have been taught that vulnerability equals weakness, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you come across as being anything like less than being 100% decisive about whatever it is that you are talking about, that can be misconstrued in some people's viewpoints as vulnerability or weakness, and there's just no space for that, right? So, You know, I mean, I can say from my experience, I have people in my life whose views are like literally diametrically opposed to me. And they are some of my most favorite people to talk to. We have the greatest conversations. And it's because neither of us are trying to like also beat the other person down. So I think that this is part of the conversation. Part of the conversation is like, there's opposing views, and that's fine. And if you can be like, well, I don't agree with you, but like, I'm not trying to like destroy you as a human. Cool. The conversation can, can can happen. Where I get hung up is where if somebody, what triggers me is not somebody disagreeing with me, but their anger or rage behind their viewpoint and their inability to have a civil conversation.
0: That's the part that feels triggering for me. Oh my God, Lee Riling. I love this so much because I went to my favorite meme person for thoughts and feelings <laughs> Adam Grant and uh, found two that I was like, oh, this feels super applicable. And I was just trying to decide which one to send you guys first and that you just covered both of them. So I sent the first one. I just sent it in text.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You want to read it? Yeah. So Adam Grant
2: says saying I might be wrong is not a mark of ignorance. It reveals the absence of insecurity. Arrogance is a shield for a Fragile ego. Humility is a sign of self-assurance. It takes confidence to admit uncertainty. The people who are the most sure are usually the most insecure. And I mean, that's not wrong, right? To a point, to To a a point, point, obviously, if we're really like, let's say, for example, I am an absolute triple PhD expert in my field on X and somebody tries to come at me with some other view on it. And I am like out of it (laughs) so that they are wrong. It's probably because I actually really know they're wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a a true thing. But that's obviously not the conversation that we're having. We're having a conversation about just, like, in general, right? And so then that comes down to exactly that. If you have an ego that can handle insecurity, that can handle um, humility, that can handle potentially being wrong, and who is not attached to that certainty and that bulletproofness, then those conversations are more likely.
0: I think too, when we look at the overall like emotional climate, there's been a big shift since 2020, because it's just been like polarizing topic after polarizing topic, right? And a lot of things that people felt genuinely very on both sides, very scared for their personal safety about these polarizing topics, right? So the fight or flight dug in, right? And I think that sort of, because there was, at least from my observation, so much real serious dig in polarity. it kind of downstream trickled into lots of other things. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's so to your point, like where you're t- talking to your friends that you don't agree with on things, like that's where you can actually learn the most, totally. oh, for right? sure for sure. yeah. for like sure you can create a space to to have dialogue um with someone that you don't agree with. like you can learn a lot because otherwise you're just looking for information that, um, backs up what you already believe and you don't really grow a ton by just finding out more points to agree with what you yeah well what you think. <laughs>
1: and I think this kind of leads into what I see obviously like political discourses like I'm no, surprise surprise a real passion of mine and I think one of the things that we have really seen again over the last three years is that the majority of political d- discourse has shifted out into this kind of shame based model like rather than guilt like I did something bad shame is the like I am bad Mm. so when we're given Mm -hmm. an alternate point of view that we disagree with the default reaction is to make the source of the problem that other person rather than the belief like oh you're a gun owner you're the reason kids die in mass shootings oh you're against welfare you're a racist the issue with mm-hmm. this is then everything becomes a problem of identity rather than behavior. And of course somebody's gonna dig further in. I'm not a racist because XYZ or you're missing the point about this because we feel personally attacked. <laughs> because we are being personally attacked in a totally.
0: lot of ways, right. I think that's also such a great point about labels and how they're not helpful. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Like in a, in a true discourse, right. If you're yeah. really interested in having a conversation and sometimes we're not, and that's okay actually too. Like it's yeah. okay to not be interested in having a conversation with somebody about gun control. If you have very strong views and you want to leave it at that, but then don't engage in that conversation. <laughs> right.
0: Don't be like my uncle at every family dinner <laughs> who purely lives to just like have arguments. Cause he think he loves it. Like he genuinely and he'll just pick a topic to piss people off <laughs> that he doesn't even agree with. He just like gets a kick out of getting people riled up. Boy. Um, well, yeah. And that is, that is a personality <laughs> type, right? Like people that is a really love,
2: They really love being argumentative and getting people exactly, as you said, riled up. I am like the polar opposite of that. If somebody's mm-hmm. coming at me with that kind of energy, I'm like, I'm out. Because I hate fighting. What I, I do, do love is... Um, intelligent debate—that mm-hmm. feels fun to me, right? So you know, Lance and I will because we're both firstborn ki- kids, so we're both right all the time, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> oh, both- Dan and I are both
1: only children, and we're also both right all the time, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Lance fun. and
2: I will definitely get into debates. And it's funny because you can see both of us take like our firstborn I'm right posture, like in the thing of like, (laughs) Oh yeah, well now we're married. We love each other. We're not going to do anything here. That's going to like destroy our relationship. And in that regard, it's fun because you know that it's a safe space to kind of have that like debate back and forth. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Did you think about this? And what did you think about that? Right. Um, but I can think of people in my social circle who don't have, they don't seem to have that threshold. They don't seem to have that. They're really lovely people until you talk about the thing that that Mm -hmm. that immediately switch. Now, I think what Jenny said before is, is an important point over 2020, a lot of the sort of like, you know, hot, hot, you know, hot button topics that came up were, were so hot button because they looked like something that could threaten either your life or your livelihood, or your way of life, or whatever. And when people are afraid, they literally move into a different part of their brain, and you are less able to access rational thought, right? Which is Mm -hmm. also part of the gig around polarization, right? If we can keep people real scared about whatever, right? Either scared that, you know, whatever republicans are racist and they're gonna you know evoke a white supremacist take over the world or that you know your traditional way of life is under threat and someone's gonna take away your ability to like whatever practice your religion you know neither of those things are probably 100 percent true right but when people start to think that that's where things could go you stop being able to have that sort of collaborative discourse which is actually what's which is actually what's happening. I mean, Sharon says so is my favorite person on Instagram. She's wonderful. <laughs> because she talks often about how the fat, you know, the people you hear from the most are the and who are the loudest are the people who tend to be on the fringe, right? They tend to be on the end. Yeah. You don't hear from people who are in the middle who are trying to create sort of some sort of like,
0: cohesiveness mm,
2: and collaborativeness right bridge like building
0: right bridge yeah. building yeah mm-hmm.
2: you're not hearing from people who are making things work you're hearing from the people who are like this is a problem the house is burning down everything is the worst right because that's you know that's what sells right that's what sells mm-hmm. on on news agencies but the vast majority of people actually do live somewhat somewhere in the middle you know i had a good friend of mine describe the average You know, the average Canadian, he says, is socially left-leaning and um, fiscally right-leaning, right? That right there is pretty much the definition of someone who lives in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. We'd like to have lots of strong social programs, and also we'd like to not pay all the things for it, which is also, I think, maybe not totally possible to
0: have both of those things, but
1: (laughs) what do I know, right? Well, and this is kind of where we can see this like digging in around identity over action, because I think sometimes with political issues, action is really hard to solve. (laughs) Action is really hard to create, sustain, you know, fund, where focusing on identity shifts that burden of responsibility into, you know, these are the bad people and we are the good people and we have to fight them because they're the bad people rather than, you know, how can we create a space where we're better funding X or we, you know, have better services for Y. That is a very nitty gritty, weedy conversation that honestly, most people don't have the capacity or the understanding to have, but that's probably truly the solution to a lot of these political issues. It's just mm-hmm. really unsexy.
0: When I think when you go into conversations and when we look at the actual, like the real question that we're addressing today, which is, you know, how to be wrong, not die. If you go into conversation and leave like the possibility of you maybe not having full information
2: mm-hmm.
0: and maybe not being totally right, if you leave that as a possibility, because let's be very honest, the amount of times that you have access to full context for all things, you know, is is never, never. (laughs) it's very hard to have all the context, right? Mm -hmm. So if you kind of approach conversations with like, I don't have full context and this person has partial context as well. If we combine, if we look at the context that we both have, you know, you might you, in either way shift your opinion on things, but it doesn't mean you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And even if you were are wrong in the sense that you thought something you changed, like that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like, and we'll talk about this more in our part two of this, but if, if you have that moment where you realize, oh, I was wrong and it really wasn't that bad because I didn't, put myself in a corner with it. I didn't, you you know, like didn't put myself in a place where I didn't think I could admit that I was wrong. It feels like really good to be like, Oh, it's so interesting. Now that I have that information, like, I think of it differently. Like there's no, it's a very, it's a, it's a really nice balance if you can get yourself there. And I think to your point, Annika, removing your identity from it is so huge. So Mm -hmm. huge Mm -hmm. because it becomes less personal instantly.
1: Right. Well, and I think this is the other piece of this that I I think we've lost and it's important to come back to is, you know, looking for those shared values underneath points of disagreement. Um, I'll talk about this in more detail in our part two, too. But, you know, my husband and I often have very different political views. But when we have conversations about it, the reality is we actually have very very aligned values underneath of it he just thinks the solution is x and i think that the solution is y but that finding the shared values can also give you space to i mean to your point jenny like yes maybe change your mind or see things a little differently but also maybe not and actually that's okay too you can hear Mm -hmm. somebody out respect their point of view and not change your mind and that's Mm -hmm. actually very possible i think sometimes it's like well we, if we feel threatened, well, if I, you know, there's a fear, I'm, I might change my mind or I might think I'm wrong. You actually also might not. And that's okay, too. We can still mm-hmm. have, you know, open discourse.
0: And I think that's the key is open, right? And I think the more conversations we can have on a regular basis that are open, right, like, the better, That's how you just learn more about the people around you, about the world around you. You can kind of like we're all like little data collectors, right? And when you're open to collecting more information, like you just gives you more tools to work with. Um, And I mean, is it always easy? No. Well, if it were easy, people (laughs) would
1: already be doing it. Obviously. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Valid point. Valid point.
1: Um, But this is like clarifying questions too, right? Like, tell Mm -hmm. me more about rather than Mm -hmm. just like. instantly rebutting it's digging Mm. underneath because I think sometimes you have to dig a little bit to find that, you know, shared value base.
0: Mm -hmm. I've also had some reasonable, I have, uh, one of the other questions that I like too is, Oh, um, where did you hear that? Because so much comes from, even if someone is asked, where did you hear that? Even myself. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, as I'm thinking about it, it's like, Oh, well, so-and-so said, like I, uh, I'll,
1: I'll often say, oh yeah, yeah. I think I read something about, yeah, I like watched a, t- a reel on Instagram yeah, yeah, yeah. about it <laughs> you're like,
0: oh, that's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> the <worst? laughs> Yeah, I think, I
2: think that the thing that's sort of undergirds what both of you guys are saying is that both of you have an interest in preserving or building relationship through communication with people you don't necessarily agree with right? Especially when we're talking about her husbands, of course, like, I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to get like, you know, divorced because he thinks that like the conservative financial plan for Canada is a good idea. Like that's not, that's, (laughs) that's, that is not a hill I'm willing to die on right now. I'm not saying that that's a thing he's into, but, you know, just saying like, as an example, it could be that. I think where it gets tricky, um, is that you know in the circumstance of like you and your husbands or you and your friends if people are both on that same page of like I want to talk about this but ultimately what I want to do is maintain this relationship right then cool you can do that all day like i said i have a really good buddy he's literally my favorite person to talk to he couldn't like could not be more different from me but both of us love these conversations so much that no part about what we're talking about or nothing about in the way that we're talking about it is ever a threat to the Mm -hmm. other person it's never a like well you know only dummies think that leftist ideals are a good idea or any kind of you know nonsense like that there's no name calling there's no shaming there's no guilting it's just like huh tell me more about that huh what's your experience with that huh
0: you know oh wow I've never heard of that before that's super interesting right you guys haven't set out to change each other's minds. No, no. Right. And, and I think that's an important part of it.
2: Well, and I mean, uh, like, I've definitely learned things from him. And his perspective that within my little you know centrist to left leaning bubble, I've never heard of those perspectives. Like right? like you know yeah. things things where I'm just like I can't imagine why someone would think that that's a good idea. Well, he told me why it's a good idea, and I was like, I don't agree with you, but I can understand why that feels right mm-hmm. for you, right? Yeah, like, totally. I, I don't agree with you, but I feel like that 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 feels reasonable for you. Where it gets difficult, and this has also been part of the challenges of the last couple of years, is that the process of radicalizing someone to a more extreme view inherently is woven with this underlying message of you should be angry and people who don't agree with you are the enemy it's this polarization it's creating a binary you're either a- with us or against us mm-hmm. with yeah. us or against yeah. us you're good you're evil blah 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 right lo and behold surprise surprise nothing ever gets accomplished from no. that place mm-hmm. ever. nothing ever gets accomplished what you end up mm-hmm. with is people who are like i'm oppressed and you know are they oppressed? I don't know. Probably not, when, but
0: but that's a label again to mm-hmm. Anika's point, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's the creation of labels where like labels really Is don't now need. your identity they don't ex- rather yeah, than they don't need to exist. Like you don't belief. need to, you don't need to label it. You don't need to call it something. Well, and then this also just speaks to when
2: you are identifying so strongly with a set of views that also comes along with community. Right. Yeah, And one of the most, uh, fervent human needs is the need to belong so mm-hmm. one of the reasons why so many people over the last couple of years have really struggled um with losing people to radicalized points of view or you know people who are just unwilling to you know, change their minds or hear new information or anything like that is not because necessarily from like an intellectual or cognitive level, they can't get there. It's because on like a need to belong level, they have like, quote unquote, found their people. Mm-hmm. And that feels critically important, you know, especially like we've seen, fa- I mean, we know families that have been torn apart over the last couple of years due to radicalization in terms of views of everything that's gone on over the last little bit. And because they have found their people, I'm using giant air quotes when I say that, um, it almost feels justified in that loss of family, right? They have a new family now.
1: Well, and kind of the flip side of that is because things are so polarized, it's not, there isn't necessarily a guarantee if somebody changes their mind that those people will welcome them back with open arms, right? I think a lot of times- right? Because the heels
0: get dug in on all sides. sides. And it's like, yeah,
1: yeah. I haven't left you space to change your mind. I'm still going to reject you because I'm still mad about what you said two years ago. You know, that again is never going to give space for somebody to, to think differently, or even just to, again, have a conversation about it without even having to think differently. Right. Because when you've taken that, the security of community away from somebody and then they found it, you know, this is one of the reasons we you know intrinsically I think don't love the feeling of being wrong because it feels dangerous. It feels like
0: mm-hmm.
1: our it feels like we're gonna be the-
0: outed from the group and right now a mountain lion can eat you because you're not your right. case people mm-hmm. right a hundred percent that's a very primitive feeling that existed for like a very good reason and then that a very long is- time ago.
1: That reason is not my, the email in my inbox I have to reply to today, but my body doesn't know that. (laughs) Yeah,
2: totally. Yeah. And I think, you know, this, you know, when we're talking about like how to be wrong and not die. So a big part of that is extricating yourself from that subconscious belief of if I disagree with someone, that means I'm outed in some way. For some people, disagreeing feels so viscerally dangerous, probably because of just the household they grew up in or how tenu- excuse me, how tenuous their relationships truly are. Like on some level, they know how how tenuous those relationships are and that they've seen maybe other people go like, oh, well, she said X, Y, Z, and now we're not talking anymore. Right. And you start to internalize, like, oh, that could happen to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so because these relationships ultimately are uh, for many people are, are critically important to them in a sense. It's, it's just not worth it. It's not worth rocking the boat. It's not worth, you know, questioning things because ultimately you feel like you will die because your insides have not been able to reconcile because maybe you don't have secure attachments. Maybe you don't have deep and secure friendships or relationships. Maybe your primary partnership is like, on the rocks, you know, and like non-existent or non-existent. Sort of, or non-existent <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And you're finding, you know, sort of community and stability and identity with another group that happens to identify in a, maybe kind of a really radical way. Maybe you don't necessarily agree with that, but it becomes really difficult for, to ask someone to sort of stand up against it, right? Because it feels like their actual safety is at, at risk. I can say that for me, having really secure relationships. Has allowed me to not agree with some big groups that I have been a part of over the last, you know, 12, 15 years. Um, Because my secure attachments are just that. They're secure. I'm lucky in that regard. Not everyone's Mm -hmm. got that, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. That was a really good sort of part one generalized chat about how to not die in conversations Mm. where you may be wrong. Um, Let's chat next week about how this has impacted us in our personal lives. Thanks so much for listening to email. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.